Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Live, Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with us is the Knightstown Gym, the Hoosier, which is also known as the Hoosier Gym, where uh, Hoosiers uh, was filmed, a uh, career scoring leader. Uh, he's also a uh, former LSU Tiger, had an outstanding career at Louisiana State University playing basketball. And I don't know if he knows this or not, but he is also a member of the Indiana Basketball Wall of Fame, which I started about a year ago, and everyone can go to indianabasketballwalloffame.com and check everything out. Also, uh, if you would like to listen to any of our shows in our catalog, feel free to going to keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. And that guest today is Sam Chase. Sam, thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive and share your basketball memories uh, from Indiana and beyond. Thank you, Billy. Uh, very nice of you to ask me. Uh, I uh, certainly uh, admire what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, like I, like I said, you know, I, I, I wasn't very good at the game, but uh, so I kind of feel like I'm, I kind of feel like I'm playing the game by, you know, keeping the nostalgia alive and talking about the memories and, uh, you know, documenting the past so the future can remember. Well, that's wonderful. You're, you're certainly playing longer than all of us did. <laughs> Sam, what was the, what was your first introduction to the game of basketball? Was it going to a basketball game? Did, so, did uh, so a family member uh, introduce you to the game? And tell us a little bit about your family and where you grew up. Well, um, mine's a story that, uh, would probably not be known too much out of Knightstown, although I think uh, people from that era would have uh, would remember it. But my father uh, was 4F. He had uh, polio at birth, which was, you know, fairly common during his era. And uh, the uh, uh, when he took his exam in 42, he was with Indiana National Bank working in... Uh, they decided at the time, because the armed service 
the American Legion that they needed a business manager at the Indiana Soldiers and Sailors Children's Home, which is about two miles south of Mikestown over Blue River. And uh, so we moved out there uh, literally three months after I was born in 1943 for him to take that position. And uh, so I guess the first time I remember playing was when I was three or four. Um, I could walk over to the the old gym on, uh, at the children's home and kids would be playing in the gym and I picked up the ball and started playing. That was really being there with all those children uh, was sort of like a, a huge extended family and uh, that, that, that's really when I, I, I started playing. Um, uh, just it was sort of like, I guess you would say, uh, soccer in a foreign country where kids go out on the street. It was just sort of like that, Billy. Um, it, did your, it was your dad originally from Indiana? Did he play high school basketball? No. Um, that's probably one reason I was a player uh, in this day of uh, the parental aspects of, of playing. Uh, my dad was actually a born in Gary, Indiana, to a... Uh, uh, an engineer with American Bridge Company, and uh, uh, he, uh, because of his uh, polio birth, had one leg slightly shorter than the other and uh, was a musician. In fact, he went to Indiana during the Depression and uh, could not afford it after one semester and uh, was a good enough musician that he and some other guys, the famous people, uh, the King, part of the Herbie K Band, and he toured the country for seven years uh, playing in all the ballrooms. So he was quite a quite a musician before he met my mother in Indianapolis and uh, they married and uh, he joined in the International Bank. So during during my career uh, of playing, um, he, he really, um, you know, I, I really never had a basketball conversation with him other than nice game son because he didn't know anything about it and in this day and age when parents are uh, you know uh, very very much involved with their kids they were very supportive but obviously as parents uh, cheering or that sort of thing but um, just it just I sort of started playing and maybe the uh, enthusiasm of Indiana and the love for the game just came through as a six or seven year old and uh, you know that, that it really just uh, was on my own. I, um, he couldn't have had a more opposite background. He did, to put it another way, he didn't know a man man for man from his own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brothers or sisters? Did you guys have a big family? No, just one brother, Pat, uh, who uh, played uh, at Knightstown also, and uh, was quite a scorer. As you broke his foot and only got to play in the. Sectionals, uh, his senior year, but he signed at LSU also and uh, had a nice career. And uh, actually, he was the generation of Pete Maravich, a couple of years ahead of Pete, but they were in school together and, uh, you know, um, was with that group of guys. In fact, uh, a fellow that played with Pete that's been a long time coach in the CBA and overseas, Rusty Bergman, he and I were uh, over for the uh, Florida football game and uh, went to a couple practices the day or two before Rusty was there. Uh, he, he's uh, uh, enjoyed a, a long coaching career. Really, the only fellow out of the last 30 or 40 years other than the current coach, Johnny Jones, I can remember that 
uh, follow the coaching career. But but Pat, Pat played there, stayed, married a girl uh, from Hamlin, Louisiana, and they've lived in East Texas for about 35 years. Sam, before you got to Knightstown High School, uh, do you remember? I'm assuming you went to a couple games or went to watch the games before, and tell us what the atmosphere was like. Was like, and and is that where you gained your love for the game or wanted to play the game? Well, it was real. Uh, it was real unusual um, <clears throat> in the context that um, by living south of Blue River at the Children's Home, we were forbidden by state law or rule to uh, go to school there. So um, we, uh, of course, I was the first to go, but uh, had to go to Mays. Uh, High school. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Mays or know of Mays, but it's quite a ways from two miles south of Blue River over through the country roads, um, probably midway between there and Rushville. Um, uh, and it was a, uh, I don't know if there's an elementary school still there today. I don't know how all that works today, but it was one of those one building schoolhouses <clears throat> from yesteryear. Um, where you had uh, in the elementary grades, you'd have two or three classes in one room, that is grades in one room because there were so few. So I think when I went there, there was 60 or 70 in high school, but I went there from the first, uh, kindergarten through, um, I guess it was the seventh grade, that year that I was going into the seventh grade, there was a state law changed that if you lived so many miles closer to a school and it was uh, over a line, you could pay a very small fee, uh, nominal fee, and go there to try to lessen the transportation burden on in kids. This was, it was the part of the beginning of the School Consolidation Act or something like that at the time. So uh, in the seventh grade, uh, then, uh, I was able to go into Knightstown, which was, uh, uh, you know, only two miles away. Uh, although we went to church in Knightstown, and they used to, back in those days, have church leagues. And um, I would always play with the church team in, in Knightstown. So I had contact with the other kids in Knightstown through the uh, church league. And uh, being so close, we did our family shopping and everything. But I... We had to go to school in Mays all those years on the bus through the gravel roads. It was quite a, it was like an hour and 20 minute bus ride each way, each day. That probably seems odd to kids today. <laughs> uh, so do you remember your first game that you went to in Knightstown? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, uh, it was probably, I was in the fifth or sixth grade when uh, they took me into a game. Uh, uh, prior to that time, uh, uh, and during those uh, uh, grade school years, um, I think it was in the sixth grade um, was the first time I played organized. In fifth grade, uh, the Mays had a little team, and, uh, and and you played little schools in the area that were still one-horse schools, uh, Milroy, and schools that don't exist today, Spice Land, and and so forth. You had some games like that you played. Uh, but but really, uh, we went to the uh, children's home game. The high school there was called Morton Memorial, 
And since we only, I could just walk over to the games, I would uh, go mostly to those games, and occasionally they would uh, let me stay after school and ride home with other parents uh, to watch a maze game. So I really watched, during my fourth, fifth, sixth grade years, I watched mostly Morton and Maze rather than <laughs> Knightstown, only because of my schooling situation. Sam, what was the ba- what before you got to night before you started playing basketball um, uh, your freshman year at Knightstown? What was the, what was going on in the game of Indiana high school basketball? I mean, did you read up on it in the paper? Did you listen to it on the radio, or did you you, you did you just play the game and then once you got to Knightstown? No, <clears throat> I guess I was inquisitive. But I uh, had the radio on all the time. Uh, um, I guess, much like inner city kids today, I, uh, you know, it was a very rural environment, and uh, I would, I, I'd, I'd listen to just tons of college games. Um, and then by the time I got to high school, there was an occasional IU a Purdue game on, uh, you know, on television. But um, I listened to an awful lot of uh, college basketball on the radio. People. I think that's funny today, but you know, uh, you, 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 everything was on the radio back then, just lots and lots, and, and uh, you could listen to the <clears throat> sectionals on the radio. Um, although we used to go when I was in grade school to the Rushville sectional because it was where I was in school. Um, when we moved in the, uh, when we moved in, or I went into the school there, the seventh grade uh, to Knightstown, then. You know, obviously, I started attending, you know, all the sectional games. But I was a huge uh, fan of the. Uh, uh, I just was enamored by the entire aspect of uh, of the small school um, aspect of, you know, playing the big school. Of course, by the time I entered high school in '56. Uh, <clears throat> Milan had had a story run, as you know, which sort of generated the movie itself. And uh, I just sort of had this idea that, uh, gee, you know, we could do it too. Probably like every kid in uh, uh, high school in Indiana. But but I think that that flavor of that and uh, my avid uh, love of the game at that early age, I um, started to see it maybe by the seventh grade as you know, gee, maybe I could, you know, get to one of those colleges through through basketball. So it, it was during that, that period of probably the sixth grade through the eighth grade that I uh, really began to just play all the time, sort of like the movie uh, Hoosiers, where like every kid probably in that era, I'd go out and uh, I'd shoot 500 jump shots and I'd shoot 500 free throws, and you know, out on the the gold packed up on the uh, garage door every night when I came home from school, had a light out there, shot at dark till I was forced to go to bed. It was, uh, uh, so you could sort of take that movie and that was just about how it was. <laughs> Sam, was there, uh, was there a favorite college team that you followed uh, during those times before you got to Knightstown? And were there any players that you kind of like, you know, emulated or, or really enjoyed listening to or, or wanted to play like? Uh, well, I followed the uh, 
funny enough, I, I followed uh, Cincinnati because I was so enamored with the great Oscar Robertson after I'd seen him play on TV. Um, uh, but, you know, I, uh, my uncle and aunt lived in uh, uh, Kokomo, Indiana. He was a physician up there, and uh, my mother and, and her sister were very, very close, and they had four boys, and we would visit them all the time. And down the alley across the street there, uh, lived, uh, Jimmy rail. Oh, wow. Uh, of course. So at the time, you know, when I was in the fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I, you know, we just, it was, just, you know, another kid, uh, we'd go up there and there was a couple other kids there that played, for, eventually played for Kokomo as well. And, and we would just play with the hour out in the, uh, concrete courts there. So Jimmy and I got to know each other, you know, casually, uh, at a really early age, and then, uh, uh, of course, you know, later on, uh, I got to know Ray Pavey very well because I would hitchhike up to, uh, back in the day when you could hitchhike, I would, <laughs> in, the, in the summertime, I would uh, hitchhike uh, every day that I wasn't working and every Saturday morning up to Newcastle on the courts out there where you could always play next game and uh, Butch Joyner and Ray and all those guys, you know, we'd all be out there playing on. So, so I, I did have an occasion to, you know, meet some kids from other, uh, schools that started to do well since they were a little bit ahead of me. I think Ray was one year and Jimmy was two years or one year. I can't remember exactly, but, um, so, so they were doing well. And so I, since I knew them, it, it was, you know, probably a little bit motivational too, but, but, but I watched the, you know, IU and Purdue teams play on TV. Of course, back then you got whatever it was, a game every so often, you know, not many. But um, so, so, yeah, I think it was just a filter of all that. Lots of radio, um, going to games, uh, and then, uh, you know, having an opportunity to play with some other guys who in that era were, you know, were good players. And, and so I, I think that, all of that sort of instilled a, uh, you know, a desire to, you know, try to get better all the time. Uh, was, was basketball your only sport? Did you, did you play any other sports? No, I say again, unlike today where they try to force kids to play one sport at such early ages, um, to be, you know, increase their abilities. Uh, uh, I, I, I played, everything that was in season at, at Knightstown, we were required to run cross country to play basketball because there were so few kids. Um, my freshman year, there was 70 people, I think in high school. So, uh, we, we all ran cross country. Then we'd play basketball and then we would play baseball. And then, uh, um, the baseball players that could run track, uh, had, it, had some event they could do also, uh, had to run track. Of course, we didn't have football in those days, but, um, you know, I, 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 and then in the summer, um, to stay busy, I played American League in baseball in high school. So, you know, I really played everything, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I think helps you, but, uh, you know, today the, the trends are not that way. If you have one sport, you, uh, if you start to be uh, a little bit advanced in it, uh, they 
uh, sort of channel you into that one sport today, which is quite different. But no, I played played everything, and then on all my free time, I just practiced basketball on the outside courts and uh, at, at my house. So, you know, it's interesting the six degrees of separation with with Indiana high school basketball, and it's you know the, the story of you playing with Jimmy Rail and you know Butch Joyner and uh, uh, Doctor Pavey. Uh, I, I mean, did, did you foresee, did you know that those guys were going to be what they became and, and did you feel like you could do the same or do you, do you ever look back now and go, wow, I played with them when they were that age and, and looked at, look at how stuff turned out. I think it's more how it eventually turned out. Um, I think at those age, you're just competing, you know, you see a guy's pretty good and you want to be as good as he is, you know, it's, I, I, I think it's pretty elementary you, you um uh i know we used to shoot up in at kokomo we'd spend hours shooting horse and i can remember jimmy always liked to you try to shoot with his left hand and put everybody out with his left hand so i thought that was pretty cool so i started working on my left hand all the time so i think there's there's little things that happen that ray always drove to the basket so um, I, you know, I started work on my ball handling to, to drive more. And so, I mean, I think it's, you know, and, uh, you, you see little things maybe from other guys, just, uh, just the same as kids do today. And you maybe take a look at it and, uh, you know, try to say, well, you know, how can I do something like that or differently or, or that sort of thing. But mostly, um, uh, our, our relationship, I think was really friendly um, you know, versus being, um, competitors or, uh, more like, um, just guys playing with the, playing against each other who were, uh, you know, trying to do well. Um, but then obviously as, uh, they were a little ahead of me, um, uh, you know, I, I started to watch their success and think, well, gee, you know, uh, you know, I think I've got a shot at this thing. So, of course, we were in very different situations. They were in high schools with four or 5,000 students. And um, when we merged with Kennard in my sophomore year, we only had 350 or something students. So, um, you know, they were in very big schools with the, uh, as time went on in high school, a lot more uh, publicity. Um, uh, so, so you, you know, you, you, you knew of their, uh, achievements, uh, because it was so widely, uh, viewed back in those days, if you were in a really small town, even if you're scoring 30 or 40 points, um, you know, it was not something the Indianapolis star or somebody would pick up and write about. Uh, there were just so many small schools and so, my sophomore year was the first year of mandated consolidation of in Indiana. And, uh, of course we did, uh, consolidate, uh, and, uh, started to be a, you know, slightly larger, tiny school. Sam, what was the, tradi- what was the basketball tradition like at Knightstown before you got there? Was it, was it a winning program? Had they won sectionals and regionals? I mean, what kind of history did they have? No, they'd never won anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, In my freshman year, the the best uh, 
a, a really good player, did not come back and play his senior year due to family circumstances. So we were left with, um, you know, um, sort of a start over program with a new coach. Um, and uh, in fact, while I was in high school, I had three coaches. Um, uh, but you know, you look back on it, uh, kids are malleable. Um, I don't remember any of them, you know, having any feelings that the change of coaches was a big deal. You just went out and played. Um, uh, but, uh, so my freshman year, um, because the, the best player dropped out, um, uh, uh, at the time, uh, I was inserted the lineup from the start and really got to play every minute as a freshman, which was a little hard to do in those days, but, uh, I think it gave me a, uh, foundation because you, you know, the, the other older guys on the team, you, you, you learned to be a, uh, or wanted to be a pass first point guard, uh, at the time, even though, uh, you know, I had already, uh, in my middle school years had, had become, you know, quite a score, but, uh, I think that turned out to be really good for me because it put all the ball handling duties on me at, at a really early age at, you know, against a lot of older kids. I had also, because of the way the school was at Mays, uh, where you had multiple grades <clears throat> in a room, <clears throat> When I was in the second grade, I had already learned the third grade material, and they forced me to skip the third grade at Mays um, because of, the, I don't know, the testing out of it or something. So when I got to high school, I was, uh, gee, only 12 or 13 years old as a freshman. <laughs> wow. It was, I, it was, you know, I was really young, but I was uh, almost six feet tall. Um, I had my growth spurt with that. So I was uh, pretty young, you know, playing against all the older guys. Then when you go to play the sectionals, of course, you were playing against, uh, you know, you'd always, if you won your first game or two back in those days, those sectionals were very big. You know, you were, you'd play on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sometimes you'd start on Wednesday. Sometimes you'd play two games on it that Thursday because there was like, in our sectional at Newcastle, I think there was maybe 16 teams because you still had all these tiny little high schools scattered all over, uh, you know, not wanting to give up their identity uh, from consolidation. So, you know, you'd start to play against, I remember my freshman year, you know, you start to play um, when you uh, play in those tournaments. You, you didn't play all of those schools during your, regular season because geographically you played in little conferences back then they had, they had little conferences and uh so you played a lot of games in your conference but you know if we went over and played a greenfield and you were playing a senior who had a you know who was 19 and was six seven or eight or something it was i can remember uh you know sort of having the feeling that you know wow you know you're only 12 years old or whatever just turning 13 and these are pretty big guys, but but I think all that was good in the long run because it forced me to develop my game really really fast to uh, uh, you know stay abreast. Uh, then my sophomore year, uh, that's when the merger occurred, and a couple kids came in from Kennard, uh, a couple uh, 
big guys played down low really good and uh, uh another guard uh, who was a really good player and the, the kid moved in from marion who was for some reason i had no idea it was pretty good <clears throat> so all of a sudden <clears throat> we had some size underneath we had some depth and, and had another good guard uh, and a kid moved in from marion played the three spot as we would say and uh so, so we had a pretty good first five and, you know, a couple other good players. And uh, uh, that team began to gel around, oh, December, late December, January. Kids getting to know each other and playing well. And, um, and then that was the team that uh, we, uh, that was uh, 58, and we, uh, went to Newcastle to the, to the sectional and beat Newcastle, and uh, that was the first time Knightstown ever had won anything. And that's sort of the uh, the famous look back that most residents have uh, pictures in the gym up there, and you know that sort of thing. So then we went on to the the, the irony of the story is we went on to play up at Muncie and. Uh, uh, our first game was Richmond, who uh, at that time had two guys, interesting enough, playing basketball, but who ended up with 12, 14 years careers in the NFL. Lamar Lundy played center. <laughs> he was a pretty big guy, about six seven, And then Paul Flatley played forward, who was about a six-two guy who ended up playing wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings for years, very successful. We played them and lost in a uh, very close game, and then uh, uh, we, we played uh, uh, the consolation game. But um, I played very well in the sectional that year and had 10 or 15 points or something. I don't know, eight, 10, 12 points in the fourth quarter when we beat Newcastle, and then we went on to beat Middletown, which was a high school then. Uh, in the in the finals, and then I had a really good regional showing as a sophomore and uh that was the year that ron bonham was a senior at muncie central who was an old famous player from that day went on to cincinnati and played and uh, uh jay mccurry who had coached at muncie central all those years before that uh seven or eight or nine years before that uh, that was his uh, year that he was leaving uh, to Central and taking the head coaching job at LSU, of all things. Uh, famous LSU guy, the name of Joe Dean, who was really originally from New Albany, was um, uh, one of the people that championed him. But they, that year, he, Jay went down to uh, LSU. There was like about five or six schools that brought in Indiana coaches over that year and the next couple of years. Norm Sloan ended up in Florida and uh, Cliff uh, Wells at Tulane and Ray Mears at Tennessee. And it was sort of the beginning of the SEC trying to get uh, basketball guys, let's call it, um, into the SEC to, uh, you know, have their programs be, be really good. But because Jay was from Muncie Central and I was playing up there and uh, later on when he was recruiting, he remembered me as a small-town guy. Uh, he, he knew he couldn't bring out, 
you know, the big town guys, a, a Ray or a Jimmy, but, uh, he can maybe feel a small town guy who could have played at a big school very successfully. And so he came to Indiana, uh, and there was, uh, four of us that went down there that year. Um, uh, in his, uh, in his recruiting, although I had, uh, pretty well made up my mind. I was going to play at Purdue, uh, somehow Purdue found out about me and, uh, I visited Purdue and, uh, but, um, Time I visited Sloan at Florida and Jay at, uh, at LSU, I, 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 I sort of like uh, LSU the best. And uh, how, how my parents back in those years let me go a thousand miles away to school when you didn't have television. Or <laughs> it's pretty amazing to me as I look back on it. I, I don't know that I could have done it when, but it made for a sort of an odd situation in that little agricultural area of Indiana because. They'd never, you know, had a sectional championship, and they never had a young man that, uh, you know, could play at Purdue. And then here he he, he left. So <laughs> it was sort of an odd situation, but it turned out wonderful for me. I had a great career at LSU, and uh, was captain down there my last two years, and uh, lost two overtime games near the end of the season my senior year. We'd have won the SEC, uh, so we finished third behind Kentucky and Vandy. Clyde Lee got a tip in a double overtime to be at Vandy and uh Cotton Nash uh got a uh two free throws uh, late game with Kentucky but uh you know today if you finish third in the SEC or the ACC you'd get like a second seed to the NCAA or something. Right. <laughs> Back then, they only invited the conference champions and, you know, a short list of like four other uh, schools from the New York area. And uh, that that was the tournament back then. People forget that <laughs> in this, the modern age of 64 teams and everything. But yeah, we had a hell of a team. Uh, but it was great for me. Um, uh, let me uh, probably get it out and establish my own identity and uh, uh, so I really enjoyed it. But when you look back on those years, you know, we played in the Knightstown gym, which of course has become historically famous. Um, and yet we'd go to the sectional and play in a 10,000 seat gym at Newcastle off the road. <laughs> so there was quite a dichotomy back then. What was the atmosphere like at the Knightstown gym? And then compare that to when you would go to Newcastle to play your sessional. I mean, was it sold? Was your was the Knightstown gym sold out every game? Was it hard to get a ticket? Oh no, it was. It, was, it only seated like a thousand people or something. But that, I think, the thousand that included they put up bleachers on the stage. There was a stage at one end of it. If you've ever been there, yes. And uh, and then. Uh, they let people stand in these little fire lanes, and I think that totaled up maybe 950,000 people max, uh, maybe less. I'm not really quite sure. I'm, probably the Hoosier Gym site has that data. But, um, yeah, you'd go to Newcastle, and, and basketball was such a uh, phenomenon back then. And the, the Newcastle Gym with 10,000 seats, it would be standing room only, you know, you, you couldn't get tickets. I mean, it was, uh, and you couldn't, <clears throat> my sophomore year when we started winning at Knightstown, um, from then my last three years, um, you know, 
if you didn't have a seat and ticket or were permitted in the student section, you had to like stand outside, listen on the radio and stuff like that. It was sort of like the movie, you know, I mean, it was pretty crazy. You know, you'd go to down some country road to play, you know, some other school, uh, so many miles away. Like if we drove over to Charlottesville and, and cars would follow the bus, team bus, just like you saw in that movie. I mean, it was truly just like that. I mean, it was, and, and obviously the, screenwriters and interviewing a lot of people had you know heard that sort of stuff and that's why things like that got in the movie but it it was truly like that when we would go up to play in the sectional there'd be a long line of cars that would follow you and uh it, it was uh quite an atmosphere uh it was really enthusiastic i mean you when you went to, from that small gym which was just deafening inside to you know a ten thousand seat gym just to have the uh, ability to play in a facility that size at that age and, you know, that time was, uh, you know, really, really special. Um, but it was quite a, uh, you know, it was quite an event. Uh, after, of course, those were the first few years it was open and everybody back in those days was, was trying to build a gym bigger than the next guy because <laughs> yeah. of the, uh, popularity of the sport, but um, it was special. I mean, it, it really was so enthusiastic. Um, it, I guess in, you know, comparing it to today, it's, it's hard for, uh, be hard for somebody to, to, to grasp how. Of course, you have to also remember that, that that was 10 to 15 years after everybody all the men came home from the war. If you think about the years, 1945, 46, 47, and started, all of them started to go to work and uh, get married and have kids. And, um, you know, Newcastle and all those little towns in eastern Indiana all had a new plant that had been built by one of the auto manufacturers that did something like piston rings or this or that or the other thing. And, so it was, uh, at the time, uh, quite a prosperous and uh, growing uh, time. And uh, uh, people were, you know, enthusiastic and young because, you know, all those families that were developing after the war, you know, they were still in their 40s and 30s. And uh, it, it, so it, was, it was definitely a really different atmosphere uh, I think one could say, you, you, you know, it's like everything in life, you can't duplicate it again, but it was, uh, uh, I guess, your radio show, I mean, things that go on to uh, support the memory of it, it, uh, it, it was so really unbelievable period of history that uh, it's, it's remarkable how people, um, you know, volunteer and do things to uh, keep it alive. Well, the Hoosier Gym is a great example of it, you know. Tell us, you know, speaking of the Hoosier Gym, you know, when the movie Hoosiers came out, um, what were what was kind of what was your mindset or the memories that it uh, uh, jogged in your mind that you know you played in that gym, you know, real games, and now it's it's um, you know, according to some, you know, the best sports movie ever made. Well, um, my story of it's pretty ironical. I had known uh, 
the Mayhills, they're in Knightstown, a wonderful, wonderful family. Um, she just had a recent birthday in her 90s. I wish I could remember the, <laughs> exactly the number, her birthday years, but um, I communicated with John Mayhill, her son, um, but um, they, they had been quite active in trying to save the gym and the schoolhouse architecture um, having great difficulty doing it, um, trying to get it on the National Historic Preservation. I was sort of following this long distance as I was living in other parts of the country, but I had been following it. And, uh, there was a little group, you could send 25 bucks or something. And, and uh, so, uh, frankly, when the movie was made, I, I was living in a different part of the country and uh, as I, have most of my life and uh, uh, I really didn't know anything but that maybe they were going to make a movie there well the movie came out and um, somebody had contacted me and said you got to see this movie and to be frank with you I, I really didn't know a lot about it and I just knew that somebody said they they did a little filming in Knightstown I thought well maybe they were down on the down town square or something you know yeah. uh, so I was, I, I was pretty innocent about it when I went to see it <clears throat> and um, um, frankly when I saw it and I saw those scenes like you know the bus going through the countryside and the you know the kid outdoor shooting on the basket in the backyard of the barn and you know all those types of scenes they it was pretty uh, Oh, I said, oh, wow, this is, boy, this is really like it was, you know. And then they started the scenes in the gym, and uh, uh, I, I really just was sort of staggered uh, because it's, in many ways, uh, the way they'd got the townspeople to come and fill the seats and everything, you know, the, the atmosphere was like that. And then I think I got to the scene where they went down and they were, you know, sitting in this little dingy room with this one light bulb hanging down, and I, <laughs> it, and when that happened, uh, I just burst out in tears. I, I, you know, God, that, you know, that's exactly like it was. You know, it was. I mean, that's so. When I, some years later, when I was invited by, the, so so then of course they got the historic preservation and. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful volunteers there in town. Uh, 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 you know, have worked to get it, get it sort of renovated and uh, everything, uh, and everything they did on that. And uh, uh, I was in, in, invited up there to a uh, an event honoring the '58 uh, uh, championship team. Um, about three or four years before the 20th anniversary of the film, um, uh, and a fellow the name of Larry Bundy that I played with um, had retired and um, had somehow gotten a hold of all the scorebooks going back to like, I don't know, whenever the gym opened and had compiled all the history of all the scoring uh, of every player that had ever played there in um and that's sort of where the scoring came from that uh, started to, uh, I guess, get uh, 
some people uh, interested in what I'd accomplished there. And uh, uh, so it was sort of a surprise that um, when I had landed and driven out there, I was supposed to drive out to the gym to meet Larry and uh, a man by the name of Bill Sittler and uh, a volunteer uh, that's helped there for years, David Steele, who was very close to our family. Uh, and uh, so <clears throat> I met him at the gym, and so there I was sort of stunned on one side where all my records, and the other side was all the Hoosier movie Hickory and stuff. <laughs> And I thought, wow, that was that was pretty neat of uh, you know them to do that. And uh, so then, when the 20th anniversary of uh, the movie uh, came around, they, uh, the town decided uh, John Mayhill uh, was quite active uh, in trying to utilize the uh, history of the movie and the gym to further endow the foundation. And they had a 20th anniversary of the film there and uh, invited myself and some other, uh, you know, local uh, players that had played in the area, Kent Benson, and I think Butch was there, and Ray, and uh, Dr. Ray, and uh, uh, I think Bobby Plump was there, and, you know, we had a big parade, and I don't know, 10 or 15,000 people um, were there, and, and then they had a uh, autograph sessions at the gym all day after that and the luncheon. And then they had a silent auction and dinner, uh, that night that, uh, John Mayhill, uh, hosted and, uh, raised a tremendous amount of money for it. And, and, and they have been doing that ever since. So, um, it's, uh, uh, the movie, uh, I thought when I saw it, as, as I mentioned, I, you know, I broke down and cried because when I went back to the gym the first time, I walked down in that locker room, to, and by golly, it's still the same. They kept it the same. <laughs> it's just still that bench down there in that light, <laughs> and that's the way it really was. <laughs> I mean, that was how simple it was when you think about locker rooms today. <laughs> Sam, we know we all, I know we all know that you ended up at LSU, but. And you said you had Purdue that took an interest to you. But was there a place that you wanted to go that you just, you just, no one took interest in you? And what other places were the possibility that you could have ended up playing college basketball? Well, um, I was very fortunate in that it was just so hard for any, you could score a jillion points. And if you were from a, a tiny town in Indiana back then, there was no media. I mean, if I got 45 one night or 40 another night or whatever, you know, you might get a little mention in the in half of paper as a little squib that might be, you know, a half inch long or an inch long or something. But everything was centered around the uh, the big city schools, um, the famous schools of Indiana. Um, so so it, it's remarkable in the first place it, uh, and a testament to how coaches network everywhere that, um uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had a lot of offers, but, uh, to answer your question, um, uh, I had a, a pretty heavy pursuit from the university of Miami. Um, uh, the coach down there was, a, had gone down there two years before, and he was an Indiana guy, North Carolina state, the famous Everett case was there actually. Interesting enough, Press Maravich was his young assistant. Um, 
Colorado had an Indiana coach that had gone out there, John Wooden. Uh, I had a couple conversations with them. Uh, it seemed like uh, at the time that, you know, uh, it was so far away, I didn't even know where that was. You know, I, <laughs> going over the Blue River was a long way for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, LSU, uh, Florida with the uh, Norm Sloan, who became quite famous with his teams down there. Uh, recruited me very heavily. I, I, I visited there. I visited Cincinnati. How the how in the world they got my name, I don't have any idea. Probably because we were sort of down in that Rushville area and, you know, maybe somebody knew somebody. I, some of these things like that, you just, you know, it's very hard to know. Um, so, um, you know, schools like that, I, I, I was very, well, then in all the little small schools in Indiana, um, would invite me. Um, but it's real interesting in today's time. Um, my, my real motivation, I think wasn't to be successful in basketball. I, I hate to say that. Um, by my sophomore year, when we went to the regionals and I really did very well and, and, you know, there began to be some media at least at that time a little bit. Um, I really began to believe after that that I could use basketball to get an education. Now that's hard for people to believe, but but back then to you know quote get off the farm or get off the children's home and figure out a way to actually get to a college uh, when you didn't have any money uh, was probably just as hard as it is today for a kid from the inner city to figure out the same thing. Um, but I began to see kids get scholarships, they were called. <clears throat> and so I thought, well, gee, if I can just get better at this, maybe I could get an education. And so I have to say that, you know, looking back on it, I think my motivation was, was right in that I was really looking at it to get an education. Um, so when schools would contact me, if they didn't, you know, have one of these four-year NCAA grant and aids. I didn't really follow up too much. I had really good academic grades in high school. So, uh, you know, Penn and, and uh, Yale, I had letters from them, and somehow the coaches got my grades, and they offered me academic scholarships. But, you know, my feeling was that um, – gee, I got to this point and I, I have all this interest, which to me, even though there's only maybe 10 or 12 schools, it, it seemed like a thousand, you know, because um, I, I just, I had no idea until it, it started happening that I could, you know, actually parlay it into a, a, a college degree. And I was probably motivated that as a lot of things happened in families and my dad had to drop out to earn a living during the Depression, so did my mother. They're very bright people, but, uh, you know, they're caught in the Depression. And so I sort of felt it was my obligation to be the first family member to be able to get to college and get a degree. So I have to say that that was really my motivation. Now, I love the game of basketball, but um, my my last couple of years, I just I really wanted to be 
good enough that maybe I could also get, because at that time, you know, Jimmy and Ray and others that I actually knew were, you know, getting offers. And uh, so I thought, well, even though I'm from this tiny town or actually outside this tiny town, you know, maybe I could too. Um, so, so I was very fortunate to have, gee, uh, just a wonderful list of schools, which was, I, I think probably, I don't know, you've talked to a lot of people, I think probably was pretty rare back then from a tiny town. So I felt very, very fortunate. Um, but it was pretty exciting, you know, when I flew to Florida on my first uh, recruiting visit, it was the first time I'd ever seen an airplane, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems improbable today to people. But, uh, you know, I left Indiana and it was, you know, two feet of snow and 20 degrees. And I landed in Florida and it was 75 and everybody was sunbathing. So that was probably the beginning of my interest in Florida and LSU mostly. <laughs> Once you got to LSU, did you feel like you made the right decision? And what was at that point in time, I know you, you could play freshman basketball and were you kind of chomping at the bit to get to uh, play varsity for LSU? Well, I think that was a, you knew that was the case back then, but, um, once you started that part of your life in college, that's just the playing part. It was really odd because uh, we had five freshmen on scholarship and then we'd have five walk-ons to be the other five guys or six or seven. And we would practice our practice and then we would practice as the scout team for the varsity for the second practice. So, you know, all of a sudden you were like a second class citizen because um, you were segregated from the, you know, the players that were sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Now, back then you could have 15 scholarships. Some had 16 because 17 because they would, uh, you know, put a guy on baseball or, or something. So you had 10 guys. The, the trick back then was to, you know, have 10 guys who were on scholarship for the varsity and uh, try to have five scholarship or good players for your freshman team. But interesting enough, the rules were very vague for, for freshman team. And we played 35 games when I was a freshman. Oh, wow. Um, back then, uh, we went that far after the Korean War, you know, 52, 53, 54. And most of our uh, military bases in the country were still um, pretty much, you know, wartime footing with population and, uh, you know, people in the services. And the Deep South had many, many of these bases. And the, the bases had actual teams they would recruit and after guys got out of college and uh, recruit guys into the military and all they did was play ball um, I'm sure they had guys that just played music too you know for the bands but um, so they all had uh, military athletic teams very good um, and so we played a lot of those bases probably eight or ten of them uh, all older guys you know mid to late 20s we were all, you know, whatever. I was 16 or 17, I guess. Uh, 
And uh, then we played junior colleges all over Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, East Texas. Um, so we played a really robust schedule. We just got on the buses and went and played. And then all the rest of the time, we were the uh, scout team uh, for the varsity. That, that's how it worked back then. Uh, true in football, too. You know, all the freshman football players were the scout team and uh, played a small schedule of five or six games. Uh, so it's quite different. Uh, people probably find that bizarre today, but uh, that's how it was back then. But it was wonderful playing all those games. That was a high spot. You know, you're the scout team all the time. But, you know, then you got to have your practice and, and play a lot of games. So it kept your enthusiasm up. Um, as, uh, I was being teased at LSU a couple of years ago that um, I set the freshman scoring record uh, my freshman year down there, I don't know, in the 20s somewhere. And, uh, and then later on, um, I set the consecutive free throw record. It wasn't a lot, 28, 29, 30, something like that. And they were teasing me that uh, I, I was a trivia question. And I, I, I said, well, what do you mean by that? I, nobody ever mentioned it before. I said, well, your freshman scoring record was broken by, you know, of all the players that played since you, there was only one guy I could break it. And I said, well, who's that? And they said, you know, I figured it was Pete Maravich. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I figured that. Never, th- never thought otherwise, you know. <laughs> and they said, yeah, but you're, you're – can say the free throw record was broken by a guy by the name of Chris Jackson. So you're a pretty good trivia question. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> so uh, they were, this was a get together of, of old, you know, ex players from LSU they had down there before uh, when the new coach, John Jones, came in and they had, you know, I don't know, there must have been 70, 80 of us from different, you know, over 40, 50 years span that yeah. came to this gathering. It was a lot of fun. And so I told that joke. Uh, well, that, that was sort of fun, but it, so freshman ball was really fun. And I played with some wonderful guys from uh, Indiana. He brought in uh, five, four guys from Indiana, one from uh, Illinois. My freshman year. Did you know Pistol? Oh yeah, know him very well. What was yeah, he like? Sure. What, what was he like? Uh, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> to the outside world, you know, they have an image of him, I suppose. Uh, but he was a very, uh, he was a little bit of a dichotomy. He basically was a, a really quiet guy who had the flip side of him that was hysterical. He was, uh, sort of a natural humorist, but he was also very quiet. Uh, you know, he'd had these at the parent level, his mother, you know, suicide. I mean, he'd had difficult family life already and a father who just made him practice basketball all the time from the time he was real little. So I think the quiet side of him was sort of an escape side, but, um, he was very, um, I, I won't say that that side was almost introverted, but it, it was very, it was very down to earth and simple. Uh, but then he had this real funny side to him. Um, and he'd go back and forth, you know, I remember when I was many years later, I came back to night law school, um, and, uh, when, when he was playing and, uh, I, I had been fortunate enough to be involved with the sort of peripheral to his recruiting of his dad and him. And, um, 
So and then my brother played with him. So, you know, I got to know him pretty well. And um, when he came to play in the Pan American trials in Indianapolis, um, when that was still a very big deal, it, back then that was a very big deal. You hardly hear about it anymore, but the Pan American games were a big deal. And they were always used in preparation for the Olympics back in the day. And uh, so he was up there for the trials, playing with the whatever the twenty guys, twenty-five guys, whatever they brought in to play in them. And uh, uh, because the media was so pervasive, uh, he actually came over and stayed with me because uh, I'd gone back there to work for the state and go to night law school at that particular time. And uh, he. Uh, uh, you know, he stayed a couple nights there, got permission to stay out, out of the hotel. And, you know, that that's sort of the way he was. He, he, there was his public persona of what he did on the floor, but off the floor, he was really uh, unlike today where a lot of, you know, because of the media, guys enjoy the media and participate in the media. He was sort of the opposite. Uh, big, streak of, big, big streak of shyness in him. Uh, but he had a very domineering dad. His dad was an ex-Marine. And, uh, um, you know, so I think you know, that was a reflection in Pete. Um, it's just a shame that uh, he had the congenital heart defect. Um, he'd been he'd been a wonderful continuing ambassador, uh, you know, had he, had he lived. He, just, he was really a really nice man. Yeah, just very, very pleasant to be around. I never heard a, I never heard a, you know, a braggadocio word out of his mouth. He just, it was the opposite. I think that's a fair way to express him to you. What is your favorite memory uh, at LSU? When uh, basketball memory with you playing, and what was travel like back then? When during, you know, of course we're we're past your freshman year, and when, when you're, you know, playing varsity, of course. Um. Gee, favorite, I suppose, you know, good games you have when you get 20 or 30, you know, the uh, beating people for the first time. We, I know we we were playing over at Texas, and LSU hadn't beaten them in 20 years or something and beat them over there, and I had a, you know, big game. I, but more for the fact that the university, you know, beat Texas at Texas for the first time in years, beat, beat Auburn at Auburn for the first time in many years. Um, all of those kind of games, I think, are, uh, you know, things to remember from a university standpoint. Um, I think starting our freshman year and Jay's hope of putting the program back on the map, um, our senior year fighting for the SEC championship, um, you know, that, that certainly, you know, sticks in my mind. I was off to a great year that year, average in the 20s, and um, which was a lot back then, and uh, nothing like Pete. But, you know, it was, you know, Jimmy, and you, you, get, you have to work pretty hard to do that back then. And uh, then I got hurt uh, after the Texas game. I had a, a blood vessel broken in my calf and my calf swelled up and I had to sort of play hobbled for about five or six or seven games which brought my average down to the teens but 
you know, we had a great year. I, I was honored to be elected captain both my junior and senior year. I think that that really meant something to me because um, we had some Louisiana kids on the team too. And when we all went down there, when Jay Starbury and the kids from the north, it was a little bit of a, you know, concern around the university that maybe he wasn't recruiting the kids out of Louisiana like he should. Um, uh, and of course you have to remember that in my four years there, uh, it, it was the year after I graduated that, uh, SEC schools became desegregated. They were, de they were already desegregated in that we had many African Americans on campus, but back then, the most outstanding uh, African-American athletes went to the traditional African-American schools in the South, you know, like the Alvin Hayes over at uh, Southern University or just uh, all the good athletes went there. Um, and it, for probably what all the, all the correct reasons were, uh, after 64 and the Civil Rights Act when I graduated, and then, you know, that started to break down. So uh, you didn't have the pool of athletes to recruit, um, you know, back in the day, the black schools or the white schools because you were limited in, in the states. And these are small states, not very populated uh, back then. And uh, so, you know, I think that, those guys, like all those guys that went down there to coach in all those schools that were Indiana, New York backgrounds, they started coming up north to get players because the sport was more popular and the players were better at the time. But, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, talk around the states down there that, about all the northern players coming down, not just from Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, New York, New Jersey. Uh, gee, when we played Tulane, they they would have seven or eight guys out of New York and New Jersey every year. Loyola, um, but I think I think just being captain and helping the school get back to prominence again, and then Press got there, and and it's sort of been you know it's been a good bas pretty good basketball school. Not not like Kentucky, but it's we had a down period here in the last few years. Um, Dale Brown continued it on after Maravich and had a 25-year run, whatever, you know, many, many, I don't know, 15, 20 NCAAs, and then we had a little down period. Now, Johnny Jones that played uh, point guard with uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal's years, he was the point guard, uh, it, it was brought back in here three years ago, and, of course, he, among other things, this year recruited the number one high school player, Benny Simmons, this kid out of Australia, and, that's, that's the reason I was over at practice here a couple a few weeks ago. I, I wanted to go over and wanted to see him live in practice and, you know, meet meet those kids. And Johnny's very nice to always invite all of us back. And anytime we want to go to practice, you know, we can go to practice and they do very nice things. And uh, So, so the, the, that was fun. But to answer your question, I, I, I think winning big games and, and being a, you know, a starter my whole time there and uh, – you know, having contributed to some records, but, you know, broken by some, some pretty good players. Uh, but I think being, being named captain uh, your last two years was, was, was certainly uh, an honor back in those days. I don't know how it's 
treated today, but back in those days, that was a pretty big deal. Um, so, you know, as, as far as traveling back then, uh, we, we, we flew in most of these puddle jumpers, uh, these old <laughs> Condor 440s they were that flopped around the south. And uh, I would say half the squad never wanted to get on the plane. You know, it was always quite a... <laughs> <laughs> it was really pretty bizarre, and you know they'd have two propellers, one on each side, and uh, and you go through those uh, uh, thunderstorms in the December, January, February period that happen in the South when it cools down, and they just shake, rattled, and rolled. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty harrowing, uh, but but that's how we we flew around mostly because then. If you went to play Georgia or Florida, then you, you got on a bigger plane out of New Orleans and flew to Atlanta, and then you got back on one of those to, you know, seated 20 people or 30 people, and you the squad would be half the, <laughs> you know, student managers and coaches. You'd be half the people on the plane. Uh, and we bust, uh, I think, like, if we played uh, – Mississippi State, let's see, when we played Ole Miss, we flew to Memphis and bus to Oxford. Um, and if we played them on a Friday, Saturday, then we'd bus over to Starkville was so small, there was not a hotel then. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd stay in Columbus, Mississippi, where there were some motels, because there was a big air base there from left over from World War II. And then we would bus back and forth to the game from there. And then we would, uh, uh, one year, I think we bus back over to Memphis. No, we flew out of Columbus. That's what we did. We flew out of Columbus to Memphis and then, uh, uh, you know, flew back to LSU, but it was pretty, uh, it, it was different <laughs> to say the least. Most harrowing story was the last game of, after my senior year, we're, uh, we played Vandy in a double overtime walk. That's the night Clyde Lee tipped in the winner, and uh, we didn't end, of course, we weren't able to win the SEC. And uh, so we took a total jumper back to Atlanta, and we took one of those big BC 8s, whatever they were back then, out of Atlanta to New Orleans. And uh, about half an hour, 45 minutes out, but the outside right starboard engine caught on fire <laughs> and we had to go back and everybody, you know, act like we were having a crash landing and we had our big six, nine center. He was on the floor and panic and couldn't get him to breathe. And I mean, it was a bizarre scene. We landed back in Atlanta, <clears throat> like you see in a movie with foam on the runway and, uh, you know, trucks all down the side. Well, you're young enough that it, you know, doesn't stay with you. But um, it was a pretty harrowing experience. We were uh, glad to get off that airplane. That was for sure. <laughs> Flying was not as sophisticated as it is today, to say the least. <laughs> so, so what was Sam Chase's mindset? Your your senior season's over. Did you could you have continued in basketball? Could you have continued in coaching? What was your degree in, and what Steps did you take after graduating oh, from LSU? Uh huh. I I was <clears throat> I was finishing up my degree in finance, which I did that summer. Um, 
um, I took a lighter load in the spring um, just because I knew when the season was over, I wanted to try to enjoy my college life for a couple months, uh, which is very hard to do when you play athletics, you know, just be a regular student. So I uh, finished up in the summer that year, and uh, uh, then the, the ABA started, and I was drafted to the, uh, the New Orleans team, but I decided that um, that next year that, um, I wanted to go back to night law school. In the meantime, uh, there was a team put together by Babe McCarthy. No, coaching somebody put together a team out of the South as one of the four quadrants in the country to play for the Pan American Games, and um, I played on that team. And uh, then, you know, it was sort of do you go to I mean, this is hard to believe, but do you go to an NBA camp? I think I was taken in the something up around by the Wizards, or today's Wizards, whatever they're called back then, <clears throat> and make less money than if I had a day job and went to night law school. And I decided that the reason I'd played basketball was to get my education. Right. I had my degree in hand. So I thought, well, you know, why would I go make actually less dollars per month uh, if I make it than if I can do that and start to not law school? So, <clears throat> Babe McCarthy called me, uh, the famous coach out of Mississippi State that we had such great battles with and they had those great teams. And uh, he'd always been a really you know, every once in a while, a player, you have a opposing coach who <clears throat> always seems to be really nice to you. And he, he was always, I always had, you know, great games against his uh, very, very good guards at the time. And he always made a point after every game to come up and say something nice. And so when he got the head job of the ABA team in New Orleans, I think the Buccaneers, maybe? Yeah. Uh, he said, well, he had brought in uh, Doug Moe and Larry Brown and some guys that, um, you know, good guys. And uh, I said, I just felt like I couldn't, I, I just need to like do this law school thing. And so he said, well, could I get you to uh, maybe be an assistant and go to Tulane Law School? And I said, well, I, you know, I'm just starting here. I've got everything so He says, well, how about I need somebody to head up scouting? And I said, well, I could do that if you pay the bills. And, those teams weren't well endowed back then, so the small stipend and paid my travel. And I, for about a year, year and a half, or whatever it was, uh, would I guess you'd call it an advanced scout. I'd go look at other teams in the ABA play and then send back the scouting reports. That's how mundane it was back then. They, you know, they you didn't have these huge front office operations or anything, and. Uh, so, so I had some fun doing that. When when they would come play the Pacers, we'd all get together. And so, so I had a <clears throat> for a number of years there. I had a lot of you know close relationships in the game, and and and, and you know kept them. <clears throat> but you know then I wanted, went out into business and uh, um, never looked back. Really, I mean I I'm one of those guys that. I guess, as I remarked earlier, that uh, 
by my junior year in high school, I thought, well, gee, maybe I could get an education out of this. And so that, that's really, I guess, in the big picture, what I ended up using it for was, you know, to get on in life and to uh, not be on the farm, so to speak. <laughs> what do you think about the state of uh, high school basketball in the state of Indiana today? Do you think it's broken? Do you think it'll ever be fixed again or just live with it? Very hard for me to judge that, you know, not being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when there was so nice to invite me up to that little uh, get-together, that 58 team, um, did all those wonderful things, won the sectional. Uh, I, we went to the new gym. Um, <clears throat> so there was the gym I played in, the Hoosier gym. There was a substance school built after that. And a gym, and then I think that's the middle school now. And then there was this school that was almost brand new when I went back to this event. And uh, that's when I began to learn through talking to people there about the class system that exists now, <laughs> uh, how you play in these different classes uh, depending on your, I guess, school population or something. And uh, it was sort of odd to me because the gym was maybe half full. <laughs> and uh, and I was told that, you know, mo- most of them are like that now. Uh, you know, that that whatever that magic was, that the big school, little school thing, the one-class system uh, created um, the cultural environment for that to... Uh, be so enthusiastic and wonderful. Uh, you know, I sort of got the impression from talking to people. And later on, even when they had the 20th reunion of the movie, and by the way, Dr. Ray Ray was there, and he and I spent, oh, <clears throat> quite a little while talking and, you know, making jokes to each other about old times and, you know, the fun things you do. And But, um, you know, I got the impression from a lot of people that they did not like the class system. They thought that it had taken a lot of the enthusiasm and the crowds. And, the, uh, and you know, that may be it. I, I don't know. The Knightstown now plays football, and, you know, they have other sports. Uh, again, when you asked me early on, you know, what did you do when you had, I think I said we had 70 or 80 kids in high school. That, <clears throat> so you had to run track and you had to run cross country because otherwise even though you played baseball and basketball but you know we didn't have football you didn't have wrestling you didn't have you know soccer you didn't have you know blah 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 and uh, so I think in fairness basketball was sort of the focal point of life in the winter time uh, without any competition uh, to you know, calling it competition. So I mean, I I think that once you have a lot of other sports and children participate in other things, and you maybe divide up the interest a little bit. But but generally speaking, people were quite negative when I was chatting with them, uh, and then when I've chatted with people, you know, otherwise about it, that, that that doesn't seem to be a real positive feeling about it. But you know, times move on and. Uh, uh, populations or bases are so huge compared to, you know, when all of us were around playing and as kids and you have to have more sports for more kids. And so maybe the, you know, the interests are, are more diversified, but so like your radio program, it's, it's probably, it's probably hard to 
uh, capture the nostalgia, which, you know, I think everybody feels the movie did. Uh, but, you know, that gym was really like the movie. It was just wild every night. <laughs> so I think that enthusiasm, maybe a little bit of that's gone. I don't stay in touch with, you know, so I don't know, like, are the gyms half full or something. But back in the day when they built all those big gyms, you, you couldn't even get tickets and you know, the gyms are bigger than the town populations. <laughs> yeah, the, the Facebook page that I run, which is Indiana Basketball Memories website, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, all the way up until probably the early 90s, maybe even the late 80s, you know, the gyms were packed. You'd see people that, you know, there's not any space in between everybody. It's just a, just a full gym, and I don't think it's like that anymore. What, what, what does Sam Chase do now? Is, is, re, is he retired? Did he marry? Did he have kids? <laughs> well, I, <clears throat> I was uh, working in uh, New York and uh, living in Westport, Connecticut, uh, many years ago and uh, in 1972, three, and I met a lady... Um, uh, Nancy, who was from uh, Rockford, Illinois, and uh, we married and uh, have uh, enjoyed 41 years together. And uh, I'm retired now in Houston. I had uh, retired once, and then uh, we moved to Houston from Atlanta, where we spent the last 23 years, something like that. And uh, uh, we moved to Houston. Both our boys are in Houston. We had two boys. Uh, one's 37, the other one's uh, 34. And uh, uh, they both ended up in Houston from a business standpoint. And uh, so we decided if we were going to keep the family together that, you know, when I mean, kids are going through their own family raising and life but they don't have time to travel and see you so we uh picked up and left atlanta and, and moved down here in 2010 to houston uh to be where our, our, our kids are and uh so we've been here uh, ever since which, which has been wonderful from an lsu standpoint because uh they have wonderful programs from the ex <clears throat> ex players with the what they call the l club and uh so we my wife and I participate in that. We're only about a four and a half hour drive, so it's an easy drive to that road. And, uh, so we, we we were just at the Florida game, and they always have wonderful uh, day long events for uh, the out club, you know, former athletes in any sport. And uh, then we're going over here um, not this weekend. Because they're playing out of Alabama, we're going over the following weekend for the Arkansas game, and then the LSU basketball team plays on Friday and Monday. So we'll go over there for four days and watch a couple games of basketball and a football game, and you know, visit some old friends and tell lies. So that's been real fun <laughs> being in Houston. Yeah, <laughs> a good a, a friend of mine from high school uh, who also played football at LSU, Brian Madden, is uh, I think Coach Les Miles' personal bodyguard during all the games. So that's really neat. Really? Yes. Now, well, now, now, I assume though, for the first five years you were in Houston, like I, because I was originally born and raised in Indianapolis, lived there for twenty five years, then moved out. I've lived here in Houston for twenty years, but the first five years I was wondering what the hell I was doing here during the summer when it got to one hundred and ten. <laughs> Well, I think the common answer in Houston is uh, 
that you live in air conditioning anyway, so you don't really you don't really True. Uh, notice it. Um, but you know, I don't know. I um, <clears throat> I faced that when I went to LSU the first time. <clears throat> Seems bizarre that when we practiced back then, there wasn't air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're practicing, when you get there in late August, you know, uh, for that first six or eight weeks, you know, depending on the year, it could be 100 degrees outside, 100 humidity, and you're inside with no air conditioning. Those those were interesting. Uh, it took me about a year to be acclimated, I think, back then, you know, athletically-wise. Uh, it doesn't bother me too much. I'd, I'd rather be hot than cold. I think I got spoiled when I went to LSU about the weather. and. Uh, uh, so we we enjoy it, and of course, you have three pretty hot months in Houston, but the other nine months are great. So you know, it's, it's better it, than having it, better than having six cold months. You know, it, exactly. It was interesting. I, I interviewed Gary Greider, who uh, is from uh, Southern Indiana, and and he said Guy Lewis uh, uh, flew him down from uh, the Indiana during the winter down to Houston for a uh, recruiting visit, and. Of course, he uh, flew him down here, uh, you know, when it was hot out, so that Gary could go. Wow, I think I want to come here. Yeah, that sort of happened to me when I did my Florida LSU visit. Right. There's actually snow on the ground both times when I left, and um, you know, it was like back back in the day, it was he he was probably saying, uh, you know, you, you, things are real myopic back then. You know, your world was the, that little geographical area of farms that you were. Uh, living in you, you really didn't. There wasn't world news, or I mean, you. It, it, it was just you didn't. You didn't think about what the weather was like in other places in the U.S. You know, you just thought that's what it was, and so I think when you got off the plane, as he probably said the first time, and you had a fifty degree change in weather, and it was beautiful. You, it, he was probably stunned as as I was. So I I, I remember. Uh, Jay was a pretty good recruiter, uh, so when he picks me up at the airplane in New Orleans, he takes me down to the French Quarter to walk around Jackson Square, <laughs> <laughs> and we walk around Jackson Square and we go to Paris Alley, and I look back on it, it must have been his, 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 his routine, and so he says, hey, you know, to one of the little artists, sit down here, and she'll do a, a, a painting of you, and, uh, so, you know, sit there a half an hour and he sits over waits on you and he buys the painting for you and we roll it up. He says, now you take this home to your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked off the plane with my mother. I said, here, coach said to give it to you. Well, she loved him right away, you know. <laughs> well, pretty, pretty smart man. <laughs> Sam Chase, we could we could talk probably for another forty five minutes. We went about twenty five minutes over. I I appreciate your time. I know that you're nominated for the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. I know your brother has done a lot of uh, um, uh, fighting for you on that end, and uh, I know they're getting ready to vote for this uh, year's inductees. I, I I cross my fingers and pray and hope that you're one of them. And but if not this time around, I know you'll eventually make it. But I thank you so much for spending some time with us, uh, uh, absolutely outstanding show. And, um, uh, I appreciate it so much. Well, you're very gracious to, uh, to call and ask me about those, those years there. Uh, 
uh, and you're you're wonderful to uh, uh, keep that period alive. It, uh, some of us are getting old enough that, that we won't be able to be interviewed much longer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's nice nice to do it while you're healthy, and I, I appreciate your efforts in doing that. I'm sure everybody in Indiana, especially, just really enjoys it, uh, and uh, uh, I, I admire you for doing it.